What is it about the juxtaposition of holy and hell that piques our attention? Sure, the terms are nearly synonymous with good and evil, but I believe it goes deeper than that. For example, there's almost nothing more terrifying than a possessed child, a wicked doll, or a cruel clown. But what makes so many people afraid of these seemingly innocent things? That's just it. It's their proximity to goodness, to safety, the things we consider familiar and pure. And when that is twisted, spun on its head, and what we believe to be benign or harmless becomes a real threat, our reality is shifted off its axis and a new fear is born. A holy terror. I was, uh, I was kidding. <laughs> this is Jeremy. He told me this story a few weeks ago about his experience at a church when he was a teen. And though he's over 30 now, the hair on his neck still stands when he thinks about it. In this recording, you'll hear me in the background occasionally asking questions, and you'll hear others too. We were all sort of hanging out that night and talking about strange things that have happened to us when we were younger and braver. Names have been changed and removed to protect those involved. So, me and a couple of my buddies, we decided, you know, we heard about this church, and it's down like a dirt road. Um, so, we heard about it, right? And there's like, well, you go out there, and you see like orbs and all this, like, you know, like spooky over the graveyard on the side. And all like all the graveyards, there's not a first cross in the whole graveyard, which is already like <laughs> something's yeah. weird here, you know. Right, right. So a graveyard with zero crosses—that's somewhere you don't want to be. Well, you can see, you know, you'll see something floating around. It almost looks like a kind of like a figment of your imagination, like an illusion, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, well, maybe my headlights just hit me a certain way. Right. When you turn your headlights off, you still see something go. <laughs> all right, so. You got that. Well, we was out there, and there was a there was a group of a little bit older guys. That's probably in like the twenties, and we was probably eighteen, nineteen at the time. And they took a Ouija board. It was a whole different group of people. I didn't want no part of it. They had a Ouija board, and inside they didn't have any more pews or anything, but it still had the old like podium where the, I guess they're like an altar, type like of an altar. Okay. Yeah, and they still had it up there, and it's old, just nasty looking. But they were standing on the altar with the Ouija board, right? Well, we was walking through, and I remember walking, opening a door. And for some reason, I, I, I would just black out, and I would be on the other side of the church. Like, I'd be, I'd be standing away from the door. And I'm like, I don't even remember opening that door. What was in it? And I walked literally right back over there. Just no alcohol involved, y'all. I walked right back over there. Open the door. I was I just walked away from the door. Never even looked inside. So something about inside that door, I don't even know if I opened it. It's like I would go blank every time I would try to open that door. Like there's something in there that didn't want to be seen. And so I told a friend. Yeah, I told a friend about it, right? So he went and he tried to open the door. Well, I'm standing outside at this point. I'm freaked out. I don't want nothing to do with this church, right? So I'm standing outside at this point, and 
Because walking outside, I was like, did you look in the door? He said, what door? I said, the door I, I told you to go look in. He was like, dude, I don't even think I opened it. So we both walked in there, y'all. I'm not even exaggerating. It freaks me out. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. We both walked in there, and we was going to look at that door, and we never made it to that door. Because the people at the podium, they start freaking out because the thing, they're both standing, they're all standing. There's like There's seven or eight. Board, wasn't yeah, there's like seven or eight people that's over there with just Ouija board. Mm. Then we ain't even doing nothing. We ain't even with the same group of people. Mm. We ain't doing nothing with it. So these are just random people. Like well, there's, the there's people go out there a lot. I mean, yeah. there's like, you know, graffiti on the walls and all that. And you can tell people go out there a lot. It's church. It's an abandoned church. And so they started freaking out, right? And Everybody's standing away from this Ouija board, and we looked over there, and this thing is like legitly moving. On like, its own. And it's on like an altar that's kind of slanted, like and it's going okay. up. I mean, it's it's moving. It's moving. Yeah. And so we're like freaking out. You know, I'm like, I don't know if you're a part of this, and these yeah. people are about to get me killed. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave here with red eyes and, you know, a long tail or something. <laughs> but, so. They start freaking out. Well, there's this girl named. <laughs> Look that out too. There's this girl. There was this girl, all right, that was there, that was with them people, right? And it spelled her name out. Ooh. And it said, uh, they said something about hurt or danger or something. I can't really specifically remember, but it was freaky. Like, it pointed her out. Like, there was a girl with the same name that it spelled on the Ouija board, okay? That was there. So. Me and my buddy, we're sitting here like, well, you know, they've got to be messing with us somehow, you know, didn't even think about it. Well, we all leave, right? Well, them people, they're right in front of us. And the car behind us was that girl that they just got spelled on the Ouija board, right? Well, we're heading back, and it's notorious for deer. I mean, it really is. Yeah, well, it's real country, yeah. There's probably 15 trucks that has done drove down this road. And then a big deer comes and hits that girl's car, and she wrecks in the ditch. Oh and she wound up having like a broke arm, like a collar, and this all kind. Right of, like she was missing right after leaving. it said her name. Ooh. And so all these vehicles made it through, didn't hit one time. So coincidence? I think not. I don't know, but it was creepy. So I never went back out there. No, Ever. no, I wouldn't no, either. In this story, the place should have felt safe, holy, but instead, an evil had invaded that made an already scary scene even that much more terrifying. This type of experience is called legend tripping, often experienced by teens or young adults who are chasing an urban legend. Their curiosity and thirst for adrenaline often take them on adventures the rest of us would gladly pass up. And often it's the expectations, to be scared, that can sway perceptions into, well, the dramatic. But what someone feels is real, to them at least. And that legitimate feeling can chase them, or maybe a better word would be haunt them for the rest of their lives. And who's to say what did or didn't happen? 
There's too much unknown in the world to cast such judgment. Experiences with the Ouija board or the paranormal can often lead people to develop a fear of the demonic called demonophobia. Because really, no matter what your religious beliefs are, most people agree that evil, real evil, exists and is even among us. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. As if talk of evil isn't unnerving enough, add it to a dark night, a terrifying being in your room as you sleep, and you have more than a nightmare. Let me tell you a story. The dark hall with its peeling wallpaper did nothing to enhance the place. This fixer-upper only had one thing going for it. It was on the lake. I took each step from muscle memory, my body knowing exactly how many feet there are from the bathroom to the bedroom, and I let it guide me. When I approached the doorway, my fingers searched for the push-button switch. The dull light from one milk glass lamp sitting on a side table by the bed provided just enough light without being blinding to my tired eyes. My old iron bed sat squarely in the middle of the room, my failed attempt to make a design statement. The tongue and groove boards on the walls stacked perfectly on top of one another, painted antique white, gave the space an aged and worn look, much like how I'd been feeling lately. I hadn't gotten around to painting anything yet. The lack of a usable kitchen seemed to rain higher on the to-do list. The back windows faced the miniature forest that was my backyard and the lake. Light rays of moonlight reflected from the water's surface and met my room. A whiff of air plastered my nightgown to my body as I lifted the 1940s wood windows. During the spring... There was nothing more comforting than the cool breeze, although sometimes muggy. Anything to escape the old, decaying smell the house had taken after being abandoned for three years. I took a deep breath and tried to fill my body with the sense of peace that my mind couldn't obtain. It had been a long year so far, and every part of me felt an ache that couldn't be shaken. I took the layers of pillows off one by one, setting them on a dining room chair borrowed from the kitchen table. I pulled the white, alternate-down comforter back and slowly let my skin embrace the soft 1970s sheets that my granny had given me before she died. She didn't have much, but that woman would have given me the world if she could. I snuggled onto the right side of the bed and allowed my legs to wander to the left the side no one slept on. The underbelly of the sheet sent a slight cool shock through me, but it quickly passed. One glance at the black plastic alarm clock that was wedged in between three books, the lamp, and a cork coaster reminded me that I needed to wake up early again the next morning. I set the alarm to six. The rosary draped across the shade of the lamp caught my eye. The hand-carved wooden beads were linked together by a dull silver chain, and at the bottom hung a metallic cross with the image of Jesus being crucified. 
I ran my fingers along the beads and traced the cross. I sent up a short prayer for peace, safety, and blessings for my family and myself. Then I turned off the lamp and nestled my head into my not-so-soft pillow. I closed my eyes. A moment later, I opened them again. Sleep had become an elusive thing, stubbornly withholding itself from the desperate. I could feel its presence, but I couldn't seem to draw it near. I tried to clear my mind. Counting sheep seemed to be a bit childish, so I focused my eyes on the ceiling fan above me. The old fan hugged the ceiling with no globe or any type of light attached. The arms circled so fiercely that it was hard to even count them. I tried to slow them with my mind, which allowed me to catch a short glimpse of each arm as it flew by. Then my mind began focusing on the constant tick of the clock, one at an extra dirty Santa game, three years ago, and hung on the wall in the living room. Why haven't I thrown that piece of crap away? It's too loud. Frustration crept in and I rolled over. Once I closed my eyes, my mind allowed the slow, steady melody of the cricket song from outside. Soon everything went black. The blanket crept tighter around my body. It reminded me of being tucked in by my dad when I was young, when he'd stuffed the blanket into all the spaces around me until I couldn't move. That initial childhood memory quickly faded when the blankets began to feel more like a cage than a comfort. They squeezed tighter and tighter like a python suffocating its prey. Still, sleep seemed to consume me, but it was fading. A moment later, the squeezing turned into a feeling of being sat upon, as if someone large and heavy were crushing my chest. My back pushed deeper into the mattress, and it creaked in response. My eyes jolted open, my breathing quickened, and before I could think to speak, panic had already arisen into every muscle of my body. I tensed. My mind screamed. But nothing happened. There was a tornado of commands. Scream, move, get up. But none of them came to fruition. My silence panic raged as I moved the only thing I could. My eyes I gazed around. It took several moments before they could adjust to the overwhelming darkness. Somewhere deep inside, I knew I wasn't the only one in this bed. I strained but saw nothing but the rapidly spinning fan. I took a couple of deep breaths but still felt constricted by the weight of an unknown cause, and I couldn't move. I tried to regain control of my mind and my body. I've been through this before. It will pass in a few minutes. Everything is going to be okay. Just breathe and relax. Another few minutes lapsed. I closed my eyes and waited for the feeling to pass. Once I finally got my breathing under control, I heard something like bones popping. Closing your eyes doesn't mean I'm not still here. My eyes slammed open, but my body was still frozen. I glanced in the direction of where I heard the voice, the right corner of the room, near the closet doors and the opened window. I couldn't see anything at first, but as I squinted, a shadow appeared. Or did it? 
There was something there, but I could only see it if I blurred my vision. I couldn't speak. It stood tall, tall enough to crouch a bit under the nine-foot ceiling. It was skinny with twisted features and hideously marred skin. Its arms dangled extraordinarily long at its sides. I couldn't see the body from the legs down because my vision was limited due to the lack of being able to move. And just then, rain began to fall rapidly. Thick drops belted the old tin roof. Each wet bullet sent a quiver down my spine. Don't look so surprised. You always knew I was here. Fear rushed through me like waves during high tide. Still bolted to my bed, I did everything to run. My mind screamed in anguish, but nothing happened, and nothing was heard. What's going on? God help me. Ha! No God can help you. You're mine. It understood my thoughts. My fear mixed with anger like oil and water, and I bounced between the two from moment to moment. What does it want? I already have what I want. Look at you. They're all seized up with fear. His laugh rang, high-pitched, making my skin crawl. I won't be stuck like this forever. I reminded myself not to be overcome with terror. You'll remain this way as long as I please. Suddenly, as I glared at it, its shape changed. The shadowy figure I saw before became clearer. Its features grew distinct. It was hairless, but its bald head was scarred from something. Gashes from some past horror covered its entire face. Its eyes glowed a light hint of red. It had no lips, only a slight opening that revealed its razored teeth. It bit its tongue as its red lip curled slightly upward over the top teeth. Its shoulders hung as if there was nothing to hold them up. Where its ribs would be just looked sunken and skeletal. Its arms were narrow and bone skinny and fingers were elongated and capped with fingernails shaped into points. Its entire body was covered with what looked like badly damaged red leather. Naked it stood there, and genderless it was. Inside, I jerked in response to its emerging features. Disgust welled up from somewhere deep within me. With every wince of my eyes, its tongue curled higher and higher up its mouth. It seemed pleased with my response because it smiled. Wake up, wake up. This is just a dream. You're not dreaming. Look at me. I'm right here in front of you. Can't you see me? Fear had long since turned into terror, and tears flowed freely from my eyes. Its lips curled upward slightly, smiling. It took another step closer. Then a sudden swift smell rushed over me, 
My nose reflexively cringed in response. The thick smell of sulfur nauseated me. Tears swelled and crashed over my cheeks. Stomp, what do you want from me? Please go away. I think the better question is what do you want from me? Its tongue swept across its jagged teeth. I had seen that type of look before. It reminded me of a dog with meat being waved in front of it. The look of hunger. Rain continued to pelt the roof and the constant tings became background music to the greatest horror story of my life. The lake splashed onto the rocks outside and the wind whistled through the screen and made chicken skin of my bare arms. It took another step closer. It laughed and in a moment it went from being three feet from my bed to straddling me. Its lanky legs hung off the end of the mattress, its arms rubbed against mine, and its body drooped closer to me. The smell grew stronger and evoked an instinctual gag reflex. Let's play a game, shall we? Its eyes pierced into mine. Thoughts swirled through my mind. What was it they said in defense class? How to address your target? Survey the scene. There was no way to grab a hold of anything, but my mind raced through what I knew was in the room. The rosary beads drew my attention. I couldn't see them because I couldn't turn my head, but I could feel their presence next to me. Focus on the threat. My eyes met its, and I tried to look at it strong and fierce. Take the appropriate actions for protection. Once I had evaluated the scene, I used the only source of protection I had. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In my mind, I rattled off the entire prayer with an intensity that I had never felt before. The once glow in its eyes dulled into a blackness, darker than the universe. The holes for its nose cringed upward and it slowly bent back on its knees away from my face. When I finished, I repeated it again. By the end of the second time, it had withdrawn to its corner. I said it again. This time I felt something wash over me. Slowly, as if I were being unshackled, my limbs began to respond to my constant persuasion to move, and the words spilled from my lips. A moment passed, and I jumped to my knees on the bed. I grabbed the rosary and placed it around my neck, and I felt a surge of power. I balled my fist and slowly stepped off the bed, never taking my gaze off of it. It contorted itself deeper into the corner. With every step, I said something that sent visible shockwaves through its being. I yelled at him, I believe! And that's when my voice ceased being my own. From thence, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I stood face to face with it. Its body had slouched into itself so that I was looking at it eye to eye. Depart from here, demon. The voice from inside me raged. A bolt of lightning popped the ground and a blue flash lit the black sky. When my eyes readjusted from the light, I saw it evaporate 
from the window. It went from whence it came. A sense of relief filled every part of me. A loud crash of thunder sent my fear weakened knees to the floor. I took a deep breath, realizing that I had no answers for what had just happened. What felt like moments later, my clock screamed six, and I woke up. Three nights later, I stood in front of my mirror, brushing my teeth, noticing again the even darker circles that ringed my tired eyes. I spit the foamy paste into the sink, rinsed, and then searched the medicine cabinet. I took the pill bottle out and held it up, read the label. Take one tablet every night before sleep to prevent sleep paralysis. Take with water. As real as I knew what happened that night was, everything inside of me longed to believe that the doctors were right. It was nothing but a dream. Sleep paralysis happens to one in ten people. Although people from any age can suffer from it, it usually occurs in teens and young adults or people in their 20s. It's believed that sleep paralysis happens because your body and mind are not moving through the sleep stages smoothly. There's no cure for it, but oftentimes antidepressants or sleeping medication may be prescribed in order to treat the symptoms. The medical community will tell you that there's no reason to fear some type of demon or possession in the night and that there's no reason for these kind of nightly terrors. Doctors often recommend getting enough sleep and reducing stress. And since oftentimes sleep paralysis happens when a person is sleeping on their back, they're also told to try switching it up and sleeping on their side or their stomach instead. Art often imitates life. We know that. And there's no denying that through the centuries, people have believed that sleep paralysis is an attack of an evil presence. For example, the hag in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet is a reference to sleep paralysis. And the nightmare, which is a painting by Henry Fuseli that was done in 1781, is also a depiction of sleep paralysis and a demonic visitation. In the painting... A woman is lying helplessly on her back, and there is a small being that looks absolutely wretched sitting on top of her chest. And every culture in history talks about evil nightly terrors, where humans are left helpless in the middle of the night, and there's some type of presence that attacks them. It's very common for people who have sleep paralysis to feel this tightening on their chest, like something or someone is sitting on them, even if they can't see that something or someone. During the event, the person is unable to move or speak, and it's a terrifying experience to be awake, but not have your body be awake with you. Researchers often say that sufferers are hallucinating, which is the source of the intense fear they feel. Episodes only last a couple of minutes, but a lot of times people have claimed to have them repeatedly throughout a season in their life. Most of them are related to stressful events and occurrences. 
In some cases, sleep paralysis is considered genetic, and it's believed to be a dysfunction of REM sleep. I've explored this phenomenon a few times in my writing because I suffered from it in my 20s, and I wanted answers. And like almost everything in my life, I use writing to work through those fears and emotions. You can find more online about sleep paralysis if you're curious, or if you're one of the many who suffer from it. For purposes of this exploration, though, sleep is just another normal, familiar, comfortable thing in our lives that, when turned on its head, can be completely terrifying. Like we mentioned earlier, demophobia is the fear of demons. Regardless of your spiritual beliefs, rarely is horror more frightful than when it studies the demonic. Talking about ghosts and mysteries is scary enough, but when the conversation moves into the spiritual unknown, people tend to bail. No one wants to talk about it. Believers skirt the topic, and non-believers who don't believe in God have trouble justifying recognition of a devil. But even though there's a lot of confusion regarding the existence, purpose, and practice of the Antichrist, one thing remains true. Darkness is petrifying to us all. Especially when that darkness comes from an unexpected place. We all know to avoid haunted houses, don't use Ouija boards, and never dabble in things we can't control. And yet, we are a curious people. And sometimes, that curiosity will spook us for years to come. Still, we must be careful not to knock on certain doors. Doors that have something lurking behind them that should remain hidden. We never know. Just one choice could confront us with the absolute truth we think we wanted to know. It's usually easier to meet hell than it is to meet holy. But I'll tell you from experience, nothing will push one to the light like a personal confrontation with real, evil, darkness. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or short review. They are really helpful. Have you ever had a scary run-in with something spooky? Tell me about it on social media at Fable Collective, or contact me through fablecollective.com. Also, I recently released a sister podcast, Fabled Audiobooks, where I share full audiobooks. If you enjoyed the Of Love and Legend episode a few weeks ago, be sure to hop over and listen to the full book there. As always, thank you for listening.